This presentation has been previously broadcast. The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Major airlines warning of a possible catastrophic aviation crisis beginning in less than 24 hours when AT&T and Verizon are set to launch new, stronger 5G technology, which would give faster wireless service. The concern, whether 5G signals could interfere with radio altimeters. That's a device pilots use telling them how far they are from the ground and helping them land in poor visibility. The frequencies being used by in 5G are very close to to the frequencies that are used in this radio altimeter. So experts worry the devices might fail because of potential confusion of the 5G signals. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome back and good afternoon. I'm Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com, filling in for Drew today, taking your calls at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. The news today actually took me by surprise, and I am usually somebody who keeps up with the news and the notion that the 5g rollout was going to be uh was was potentially going to be catastrophic to the airline industry not just passenger airline also fedex ups uh all of the major uh commercial uh passenger carriers all objected to the expansion which was supposed to start today um, around airports of the 5G service um, that has actually been postponed uh, that there has been an agreement that from AT&T and Verizon the two uh, networks that were going to expand uh, expand their reach around airports today they have agreed to hold off on that for the moment but we wanted to find out just what the issue is here, how serious it is, and, and what the potential is for some sort of solution to this. So we asked Matt Dunbar, senior flight instructor for an international airline and a commercial pilot who used to fly 747s before they were retired, has, uh, is joining us now to discuss what the issue is here. Matt, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, you bet, Ed. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, look, I mean, this sounds, I mean, this sounds like... It's something that should have been thought through a little bit, right? And, and, and if once you start reading these news, uh, uh, these news stories today, it's actually been a, a point of contention for for quite a long time. And apparently, it's not anything that is has been resolved, or maybe it's not resolvable at all, Matt. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was just doing a little research on to, for the exact the exact question on that. How long has this been going on and why hasn't there been talk between the FCC and the FAA? And suppose the, what it says on the FAA site and some other sites is there has been talk, but it's been talk within the own agencies um, and then within their um, their different agencies down the line. But every time they tried to get together, it wasn't as smooth as or as as interlaced as it should have been. I mean, I looked at things they were starting to talk about it in 2015, 2018, uh, 2020. But no, it it's, looks like it's quite the mess right now, doesn't it? It does look like it's quite the mess. And I mean, this does remind me of something that came up, actually. I think it was about seven or eight years ago when they were looking for spectrum slices for, for 5G. Uh, there was a different spectrum slice that would have interfered with GPS satellite usage. And the Department of Defense uh, reacted very um very strongly against against a potential sale to AT&T and Verizon. And I think there were a couple more at that time 
that were looking at buying that uh, buying that spectrum up because it would have it would have at least interfered with the ability to pinpoint where military assets were around the globe not to mention you know tens of millions of drivers who rely on those devices myself included to uh, to know yeah. where they're at at any one time uh, and this appears and i'm not sure i'm not sure if this was a separate issue or if this was a different slice of the spectrum that was given up instead but this is it's sort of the similar situation where you have already established uh, services, in this case, altimeter services. And I think that it's not just the altimeters, right? I think there was more systems involved in this. Uh, for, for Right. And, and that's the big issue. That's exactly right. It's the radio altimeter, which is when, and, and which <laughs> auto throttles, flight controls, braking systems. And what you and your listeners have probably read is it's mainly on low visibility landings. I mean, that's a serious issue. And that's like you said earlier. It's just not passenger airplanes, right? It's it's um, um, cargo airplanes, planes that are taking um, any kind of passenger or cargo anywhere that needs to be. If you're in a low vis situation, I'm telling you the pilots do rely on the auto land system. Right. I mean, this is, and I mean, there there's a whole lot of cockpit functions that are automated and are in that are what's the right word i'm looking for that that are that are so integrated because of previous safety concerns right i mean we we this is part of what makes american air passenger travel so safe is that we built all these exactly. systems to do all these things so the last yeah, thing they we want to do is i'm sorry go ahead man no i was just gonna say that's exactly right i mean the black boxes talk to one another and that's and that's part of the that's part of what the FAA is asking the radio altimeter makers as well as the aircraft makers Boeing and Airbus how exactly does all this integrate with each part of the system of each airplane I mean there there are probably a dozen functions um, just from the 747 uh, with with enhanced ground proximity we got terrain awareness. Um, takeoff guidance, flight controls, like I said. I, I mean, I did, I've done many auto lands when the weather has been, you know, very uh, bad. And that there's, it's just very important to have that operational because if, if that radio altimeter is not working and you're not aware that it's not working, then there's a big issue, right? Because now you don't know where the ground is because at low visibility, we're talking, you don't see, we can land an airplane on a runway we can't see at this point, Ed. That's the seriousness of this issue. And that that happens more frequently than not. I mean, I've certainly flown where you know where where you've got low. It doesn't even have to be foggy; just low clouds. You know, you're you're at right. two thousand feet. You can't see the ground, but you know it's there because you've got all these systems to tell you exactly where you're at. And so you, there's there's no safety issue. You you as a pilot, I'm sure you feel completely comfortable. As a passenger, myself personally, individually, I would say I've never felt comfortable flying. <laughs> I do it because I do it, but I'm just, I'm one of those guys, Matt. You're, 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 I'm one of those guys you laugh at. I, I'll, I will just admit that right up front. I'm one of those guys you laugh at. Oh, look, no, that's the guy who I'm, sweats. I'm <laughs> no, I'm not laughing at you. I just, it's just one of those things, and I understand it. I mean, I have friends the same way, and it, it doesn't matter what I say, but. I'm telling you, it is it is safer than anything that you'll ever do uh, is flying. And you're right. I mean, we are very confident in our airplane and our systems 
and the systems on the ground that allow us to do the auto land um, when necessary, uh, because it works. I mean, it it and the air air crews are trained in it very you know very well. I mean, it is something that's taken very seriously because there are a lot of safety checks within the cockpit itself between the flight crew members to make sure everything goes smoothly so nobody has any issues uh, during the landing phase. We're speaking with Matt Dunbar, a senior flight instructor and a commercial pilot, and taking your calls at 888-914-9149. So let's, let's walk a little bit through this. How does the 5G signals from the cell towers on the ground near airports um, how does that, inc- just technically speaking, just maybe we can just put it, in, uh, briefly put it in, uh, in terms that, uh, you know, most everybody can understand. How does, how does that interfere with that? Well, they have, the, you know, it's funny, we call it 5G, and yet they're, they're really what it's a C-band, and it's, it's a lower band uh, of megahertz that we're talking about here. And there, the the 5G, so we'll call the the radio, so the 5G uh, um, cell phone band they're looking to use is 3,700 to 3,980 megahertz. Now, just just take that band. Yeah, so that's slow. For the the radio altimeter, you're looking at 42 to 4,400. So there is a break between the two. There's about a 200... Um, gigahertz that, or megahertz that you that you there is potential for a problem of the radio altimeter intercepting some of the cell phone um, radio waves, right? And that's what's issue. The the thing that United and the European and and that's the other thing. How can the European nations and some of the other countries? Uh, how come they have this and they don't have problems? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, they're they're actually rolling out their 5G at the very low end of the megahertz scale. They're going at 37 and 3800. So they're not going above that, which right. makes it now 400 uh, megahertz, which is a, a bigger buffer there. The other thing is not all their airports have the the ability to auto land like we do the low visibility landings so that makes it a lot easier and then some just have decided not to put these radio towers up closer than two miles to the airport and that's the big thing that that you hear united and delta and and american and several of the airlines say hey we're good can you just keep them outside of this buffer zone that we don't have to to deal with this issue Right. So, I mean, we're not talking about all cell phone service. We're just talking really specifically about this newer 5G service because of the band that it's on, right? Exactly. So if, that, that's, so, that's, the only, that's the only issue. And so, <clears throat> as much as, you know, everybody enjoys 5G, I mean, if you're getting, you know, five solid bars of 4G in an airport, you'd think that would really be enough, right? I mean, well, I, yeah. yeah, but you know how Americans like technology, right? It's something new oh, yeah. and exciting. But the the problem is this, like, and I think this is going to come back and and really kind of bang on some people that how come we did not really look at this serious enough or 
why didn't the two part FCC and FAA really kind of get together and go, hey, you know, because it was identified a long time ago this was going to be an issue. This is not like it just discovered itself within the last three months. This is this has been um, known by you know the the RTCA, which is the Radio Technical uh, Commission for Aeronautics, and the FAA have done studies and come up with the same thing that we need to get more information to how this is really going to affect um, air travel when people come, you know, for landing and, and, and even more so from a pilot point of view, how is this going to affect my airplane? Even if I have VFR conditions, in other words, if it's clear, you know, for your average person looking outdoors, if you can see everything, does it matter? Well, if it affects other parts of the systems of my airplane, it very well could matter if it decides, you know, that means that I'm not using any of the automated systems. And like with most of the newer airplanes today, especially the Airbuses, it's all automated. So right. it's all integrated into that radio altimeter. And I mean, this is, and again, we're speaking with Matt Dunbar about this, this issue. This is, this has been the solution up to now, right? They, they just haven't turned on 5G at, in those cell towers near airports in the United States. Right. They've left the four, they've left it at 4G or, well, left it at 4G. It's, it's all 4G now. And, and so that hasn't been a problem. And I imagine what the airlines, and I'm, I'm also imagining that the Airline Pilots Association probably has weighed in on this as well. I'm, I'm certain yes. it has. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of the first times the airlines and the pilot unions have all agreed to the same thing. They, they are in lockstep <laughs> with one another. Yeah, that's unusual. So, For people who don't know, that's it, unusual, yes. Not, yeah, not, it is. Not exactly the most, not exactly the, 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 the most friendly of relation, labor relations, but, um, but uh, yeah, because they have the exact same interest, which is making sure that the, the planes work properly in this case. Right. And, and, and this, is not a, this is not an internal maintenance issue. This is an outside environmental issue that's being introduced uh, maybe needlessly in this particular case. If the, if the solution till now was just keep 5G turned off near airports, within a couple of miles of airports. I, again, I guess I am not, um, I, I am not certain why that solution isn't just the best solution going forward permanently, at least until you have uh, some time, maybe over the next few years to revamp the, the uh, radio altimeter systems to operate in a different band. But then again, once you start doing that, Matt, then you start worrying about what else is going to inter- what else is in those bands. There's not a whole lot of free space in in the um, in the radio spectrum world. Right. Well, well, you got to remember AT and T and Verizon. I think they spent eighty billion dollars on this tech on yes. just the, the rights to do this. So they have a very uh, large financial um, uh, interest in everything that's going on with this. Um, but it's funny. I read something that the French are taking these towers. Uh, that might be closer than two miles. And I don't quite understand this. Somehow the, they're diverting their signals downwards versus upwards. Now, I don't know how that affects your cell phone signals if they keep it lower, uh, nor do I know if you bounce it off the ground how the airplane wouldn't pick that exactly. up or possibly right. pick it up. Um, but they seem to think that it works. And, I mean, they've got some very busy airports in Orly and, and Charles de Gaulle, uh, to name just a two right there in Paris. So, um, well, it'd be worth, you know, it'd, that'd be worth looking at, but again, you'd want to, you'd want some time to, 
to take a look at that, not just turn these things on and then see oh. how, how those things work out, right? Oh, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. And that, and that's what, and I think that's what the FAA, everyone other than, and I shouldn't say it that way. Again, AT&T and Verizon have a, a very large financial interest in this. Since there hasn't been talk between the two, you know, the airlines want to be sure because they've spent, you know, well, way more than $80 billion on airplanes um, that they want to know that they can function the way they're supposed to function. I mean, you know, the 787s, the the triple sevens, the 8350s, I mean, those are not small ticket items and they have not just one or two, they have fleets of those. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's important for them. If suddenly you say, well, we're just going to turn it on and you, and suddenly these airplanes cannot fly, especially the 787. I think there was an airworthiness report that really identified them as probably the, the, the ones they have the most questions about. So, um, because they're fully automated, right? They're probably, and I'd be, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if, that might include the A350. I've only seen, to be honest with you, I've only seen the um, 787 mentioned at least as of this time with the FAA. But um, it could it could obviously include other airplanes. Well, sure. Yeah, that would be the concern. We're speaking with Matt Dunbar, taking your calls at 888-914-9149. Let's go to Kim in LaGrange, Illinois, who wants to join the conversation. Kim, welcome to welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Um, always a great show. Um, I've got a quick question. I, um, I don't know how this applies, but it's been in the news a lot, and it's always been an issue around our community with the 5G. Um, I'm just wondering the impact um, to citizens. I mean, if we're seeing the 5G impact, these massive planes and electronics, um, what's the impact on people? Well, it's it's a great question, Kim. Thank you very much for your call. Um, you know, I... It, it's it's an unrelated question. It's it's a related question. It's a little bit it's a little bit different than what we're talking about here, but um, but yeah, I mean you've got all these radio waves bouncing everywhere. I know people get uncomfortable with that, but this is um, it's that you talked about loving technologies is kind of what you get with <laughs> loving wireless technology is everything's wired. I mean I I think that five G probably is less uh, would be less problematic than just simply the wi-fi in your own house in that case because you're closer to the transmitters usually what you're talking about is the transmitter so your phone's a transmitter and then the cell towers are transmitters you fly in in these very large commercial planes matt that have all sorts of transmitters and receivers in them right yeah i you know what uh, and you're talking about when you're when you're talking 5g and the rest the transmitters without a doubt if they're worried about the the radio waves that come remember this is low. This is, this is yeah. you know, a radio wave versus the next uh, spectrum is going to be a microwave and then it's the x-ray. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I agree with you, Ed. If you're by the transmitting towers, just like um, if you're by those big electrical uh, output stations that go through different areas, I'd be a little bit more concerned about that. Uh, and transmitters of the 5G or any really any big any big uh, power plant type thing transmitting um, waves of some sort. So no, she brings up a valid point. She but does. as far as the airplanes themselves emitting things down to people on the ground, that's not that's not even an issue. No, and and I would say the cell towers the same way. It's just too 
it, it's these are are, are low power these are low power signals um right and and i i i can tell you that there there are higher power transmitters especially microwave transmitters that if you're close to it then you really have to be careful um right but but where we're at in terms of that probably isn't uh, uh any sort of health risk that you need to be worried about but at the same time this if you're operating things that are in in conflict with each other on the same band, this is something you have to be very concerned about. And it looks like AT&T and Verizon are at least stepping back temporarily here. Uh, we've got a couple minutes left, Matt. What do you think the solution is actually going to be to this? Is it is it going to be the FCC and the FAA getting outside their stovepiping and actually working together on this? Or is is this just going to... Are people just going to be slugging it out for months on end here, trying to figure out how, where this is going to go? No, I, I actually, I would not be surprised right now because I know Boeing, um, I know the FAA has gotten with, with Boeing and the radio altimeter makers and all, and I'm sure they're all looking for a solution. Uh, I guess at, as of this point right now, there are two radio altimeters that are cleared for flying around 5G towers. So they do have a radio, a radio altimeter that is that is qualified to, to fly within that zone. Does that mean we trans we switch radio altimeters? I I don't know because I don't know what that radio altimeter is able to do plugged into different airplanes. But it's, it was right. probably made for a specific specific airplane. But it's it like anything. Um, once you start talking about financial restrictions. The airlines have a very big um, financial um, incentive. Yeah. yeah, incentive to make sure this all works out right. Um, and I think they're they're more than anybody else will probably drive this and probably as quickly as they can. I don't see. Uh, I don't think the public would tolerate the FCC just saying just turn them on and we'll just take our chances. I mean, it yeah. would only take. <laughs> one accident and that would not go so well no that would so, be extremely bad and by the way matt uh just one one final cheery thought before we let you go 6g is coming and uh <laughs> we may end up doing all this all over again <laughs> i you know what that's new i have i have not heard about 6g but i guess where there's a five it's on the drawing board it's, and, it's it's not coming right it's not coming tomorrow but it's on the drawing board and i just yeah it's just this is part of, you know, this is just part of a whole thing about the radio spectrum that is usually fought behind the scenes. This is just more of a public thing. We're going to see more of these public fights as we go along. Matt Dunbar, though, thank you so much. Great conversation. And thank you so much for all of that great background on what's going on. When we come back, we're going to talk about a global survey that shows that democracy is being discounted and authoritarianism could be on the rise. There's some context to that, though. We're going to talk about that with Dr. Zudi Jasser when we return. I'm Ed Morrissey filling in for Drew. We'll be right back. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the relevant radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Leader of China, Xi Jinping, who I've met with more than any other world leader, and Putin, 
Both are very straightforward. See, democracies can't function in the 21st century because things are too complicated. They move too fast. In time, you get a consensus which democracies require. That's why autocracies will rule the day. Folks, this is a troublesome time, but it's a significant opportunity. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. It's 29 minutes past the hour. I'm Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com, filling in for Drew today, taking your calls at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. I just want to get one more uh, one more plug in here for RelevantRadio.com slash fast. This is the fast for life, hashtag fast for life for your social media platforms. Uh, it's it's a great place to sign up to uh, to pledge for some sort of sacrifice on uh, Friday for um, and and even before and after that uh, for the cause of for the pro life cause for uh, for ending abortions and we've we already got some some beautiful pledges in um, Mike from Marietta says bread and water no screens he'll be offering up memoraries uh, no screens I'm assuming means um, you know no computer no computer work for the uh, for the day. Uh, and uh, Jocelyn from the UK, I mean, this is, this is international. Jocelyn from the UK says she'll be fasting in an, in the ordinary way, of course, on, on, on Fridays and fasting from using Netflix favorite sweets and drinking mainly water and no soda drinks. I will smile at workmates and work very well and offer my work, offer my work to our Lord. Jocelyn, it's a beautiful pledge. All of you, Mar- Martin, it's a beautiful pledge as well. All the people who are, are, are pledging this, you can just go to, if you want to join this, you go to relevantradio.com slash fast. And if you sign up there, you um, you get a free uh, ebook download. The ebook is "The Choice Is Love," and it has answers to to questions, basic apologetics questions, such as if a woman is pregnant, decides to have an abortion, shouldn't that be her right since that is her body? If the fetus is so small that it can't survive apart from the mother, is it really a human being at that point? Uh, with hunger and overpopulation in the world, why would the church teach against using birth control? These are things that we instinctively know. And we, we know what the instinctively know what the church positions are on this, but it does help to have that sort of uh, rhetorical backup, that apologetics assist, if you will. So it's a great it's a great resource for you. And uh, again, you go to relevantradio.com/fast, download the ebook, sign up, let us know what you're going to be doing, go out on social media, do hashtag Fast for Life, and uh, we uh, we certainly appreciate that and appreciate all the sacrifices. That you're making for this excellent cause. Now, uh, we are talking about democracies, autocracies, and levels of public trust, and maybe whether or not we're measuring it accurately. Here to discuss that with us is our friend Dr. Judy Zasser. Zudi Jasser, excuse me, I knew I was gonna mess that up, Dr. Jasser. <laughs> Sorry about that. Cardiologist in Arizona, he's the president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. You can find that at AIFdemocracy.org. He's a former US Navy Lieutenant Commander. And the host of the Blaze Radio podcast, Reform This, uh, Dr. Jasser, and is saying it correctly this time. How are you today, sir? Great, great. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. And especially this topic is so uh, central to the work we're trying to do around the world. So thank you. Well, indeed. And and I don't know if you're going to remember this, but we actually met and I talked to you years ago at a uh, UN Watch event. Um, um Goodness, I couldn't even tell you how many years ago this was, but uh, we had a chance to talk a little bit at that too. And uh, I found you to be um, really um, uh, uh, clear-headed, uh, very clear-eyed on on the issue of democracies and the the need to promote 
uh, democratic reforms around the world. Well, thank you. Yeah, you know, the uh, uh, it's not a surprise. We've sort of seen a coalescence. I've been writing a lot the last few years, a couple of years, about the red-green axis. It's sort of the synergy between the far-left progressivists and the Islamists. And we see 56 uh, Muslim-majority countries around the world, and they're a voting bloc at the UN. And who votes with them? The reason uh, America and Israel are primary targets uh, of, of the UN, especially Israel, is because the, the far-left uh, uh, governments, be it Venezuela, China, or other uh, extremist socialist regimes, communist regimes, vote together in lockstep with the Islamists uh, from Iran to uh, Saudi Arabia and others. And, and basically, they're autocracies that seek to control their populations either through theocratic means or through economic uh, control, as we see in China and elsewhere. And they work together to try to snuff out and, and marginalize democracies. And in the last two years, also with the pandemic, we've seen them step up to uh, exploit the situation and right. people in this polling are are expressing that uh, they're losing faith in a, in a time in which when democracy works for us as churchill said used to say it uh, it's the worst form of government excluding all others and yet <laughs> it, since it, since it's the best form of government even when we're most stressed we seem to have abandoned all of our principles that work to get us here and when you abandon that, people lose faith in the fact that the people they elected are going to stay true to their strongest uh, reasons for being elected, which is to give people the freedom to be themselves. And that's what made America what it is. It's You know, as a physician, I've always been against socialized medicine, found it to be an anathema to how America became the greatest uh, healthcare system in the world. And yet uh, I always tell them it's sort of bizarre that you use a free market system to become the best healthcare system in the world, and then you switch it to a socialist one to allow it to fail. And, and no longer become the world's leader. And we see, it, we see this in every system uh, uh, and every stressor we have, be it theological stressors in Islam, where they're rejecting the West's uh, battle that the, the America proved that our democracy is better than theocracy, is what our founding fathers did. And the Islamists don't want us to do that. And, and now with uh, the pandemic, uh, the socialists are working with them to uh, sort of globally push their systems upon us. And Dr. Jesser, too. I mean, I mean, I think that this is something that happens when you're dealing in eras of, of great stress. And you bring this up. I would say that you that there was the same sort of crisis of confidence in demo, in democracies, democratic institutions in the 1930s. You had this global depression, uh, tons and tons and tons of of social distress. At the same time, you had the what, which we're still living through, even though we may not recognize it. You had the, the post-Versailles empire collapse, which has been uh, an incredible century of churn in terms of how to how to how to recognize countries, what are countries, what are nations, that sort of thing. I mean, we're still working through that in in many parts of the world, especially in the Middle East, and and so you've got that. Going on in the 1930s, you had the same sort of crisis of confidence. It really did seem that uh, the world was going to determine uh, whether or not it was going to follow communism, whether or not it was going to follow fascism, and democracies were considered passe. Well, we had that fight. It resulted in a, in a global war that was incredibly destructive. The, democracy, the democracies ended up prevailing, um, along with communism on the other side, and then there was a 40-year battle 
mostly cold on that, in which communism collapsed, economically collapsed, socially collapsed, and the democracies were ascendant. In the 30 years since then, though, we're seeing perhaps the squandering of 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 those gains of of, the, of those gains of trust. I would argue by short-sighted political maneuvering um, and not having our eye on the ball and how that how that plays out um, globally. Also, in terms of the idea of how you create democracy, how you promote democracy worldwide, um, in this sort of post-imperial era of human civilization, do you think that the democracies have lost a step or at least lost their way in, 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 in building that trust? I do. I think we're seeing a crisis of a few things that have all come together, whether it's, you know, uh, what is a democracy? I mean, even America, we don't consider ourselves a democracy. We're, we're a republic, and there's a reason right. we don't use the term democracy, and the Arab Awakening sort of uh, should have explained to everybody why we don't use the term democracy. In the Arab Awakening, you found the Egyptians and other other people rejected their dictators and then turned around and voted for theocrats. And part of it was they were rejecting the previous generation of, of dictators, and they had sort of left the, or, the only organized system was theocratic Muslim Brotherhood groups or whatever it might be. But they also had so many divisions, so many parties, that it ended up being, as as uh, I think Franklin also said, that you know democracy is three wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. And you know this is the issue: is that if you have a majoritocracy, it becomes a mobocracy. And our social media right now, as much as it's uh, built on free speech, has now become a highway of information. And we saw in the pandemic, we sort of abandoned some of our core principles of free speech in order to control messaging that was being done not only by a government class that was uh, elitist and, and the establishment, but also by a, a, tech, a tech class that wanted to control what we thought and what we did. And even if you look at all the corporations today managing and and uh, in the tank for Biden, he has the lowest approval ratings in America of any president in the last 80 years. So that tells you that no matter how much you try to control information from the corporate structure, from social media, from Hollywood, uh, whatever it might be, People are smart. Americans are smart, and they're looking at the pandemic and saying, wait a minute, America was built on being risk, uh, being able to tolerate risk. We take risks. That's how we have free markets. And yet the pandemic was all about being risk averse. We wanted to right. lock down everything. We wanted to somehow ensure that uh, there was a guarantee because people were put into a state of fear, and you had this panic, you know, uh, um, fear industry that was being created through the media. And unfortunately, it didn't let people realize, you know, uh, who we are as Americans, which is we're not risk averse. We, we are risk takers. We're a risk taking country that realizes we'll do our best not to make each other sick. But we realize that, you know what, as much as you may not want one virus to spread, there are other things that will spread. Now we're seeing a pandemic. You know, listen, I'm a primary care doc. I've been taking care of hundreds and thousands of COVID patients, and I still do not think that it's it's good to uh, exchange one disease for other. We're seeing so many cancers now. Suicide uh, levels have gone up higher than they've been in decades. Uh, we're seeing, uh, not, I mean, healthcare industry is, is being overwrought with other pandemics right now because we made a decision in the last year to focus on one virus. Right. 
We're, we are speaking with Dr. Zudi Jasser uh, and taking your calls at 888-914-9149. Just to uh, complete the introduction, he's the founder of Take Back Islam at TakeBackIslam.com. He's a co-founder of the Muslim Reform Movement and the author of A Battle for the Soul of Islam. And you can follow him on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser. That's D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R. And that's where you can follow him on Twitter. And <clears throat> got a couple minutes before we're going to take a break here. I, I got The last time I was guest hosting, we, we got into a discussion of risk tolerance and, and risk balancing decisions. And, and I completely agree with you on this, is, is that, you know, in the very beginning, the first few weeks of this pandemic, there's a good reason to be, uh, to, 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 to react against, what was the risk present at the time. But ever since then, we found out more and more about this and we should be able to do better risk balancing, especially now you have a vaccine, you've got therapeutics out there, you got three vaccines, some therapeutics out there. Uh, there's just a better understanding of, of what this is. We should be able to do much better risk balancing and not just America, by the way, other countries as well. I don't want to get in too much and tell people how to run their own countries, but but there are other countries that have a much lower risk tolerance than America does at the moment. And these are some of the democracies where they're basically locking people into, into either their own homes or into, um, into facilities um, uh, in order to, in order to um, impose this sort of uh, unit, unitary risk um, dic uh, diktat, if you will. And, that undermines the whole idea of democracy as well. I mean, it's not just it, it's it's not just the virus; it's the reaction to the virus. And and I couldn't believe. I mean, I'm a, I'm a doctor, primary care, and in addition to the work that we do in re reform and anti-Islamist, anti-terrorism stuff, but this concept came up all of a sudden of essential workers, and I'm like. I can't believe that term's being used in yeah. America. Uh, I, I mean, okay, fine, we, we're important to t you know, it's like a battle, and we're the soldiers on the front line. I get it, but to say that people who work at uh, grocery stores, people who work at uh, 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 any company, uh, from lawyers to engineers to pharmacies to whatever, healthcare or not, uh, gas stations, whatever it might be, to say those people are less essential, they're making money for their family. And they are essential to their kids and their spouses and their 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 uh, immediate folks that depend on them. And to say that somehow, well, they need to stay home uh, and get a check in their mail because they're not essential is absurd. They never wanted a check from the government. They wanted to continue their business. And to say that somehow we had to shut down businesses that were unessential made no sense to me. And there was no even scientific proof about the spread of the virus into certain businesses more than others. And yet it's like politicians had to do something and they eroded a lot of trust in the process because they, they thought the way to do things was to legislate the closure of, of uh, individual and private businesses. And now they're mandating vaccines and all the things that we never thought government. And I can tell you, it doesn't work too. We're also proving that when you mandate healthcare, people actually are just like when you're raising your kids, as they become teens, you can force them to do things, but typically they will re rebel and will do less unless you try to treat them as adults. And, and, and give them the logic and the rationale. And we found this in medicine a lot, that when you push patients coercively, not only is it unethical, but it, is, it doesn't work because people will then think you're trying to do it for an internal reason for yourself, either monetarily or for whatever you know, secondary gains you might have, rather than because you want the best for them. 
Indeed. And I think when we come back from our break, we're going to take a quick break right now. We're speaking with Dr. Zudi Jasser about uh, about the um, decline in trust in democratic institutions. We'll take a little bit of a look at that at that uh, survey because it might we might be reading a little bit more into into it than than there should be. But I think that this is a longstanding issue, as does Dr. Jasser. We're going to talk more about that when we come back. I'm Ed Morrissey filling in for Drew Mariani. Stay tuned. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the relevant radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. This is the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app. It's 49 minutes past the hour. I'm Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com, filling in for Drew today, taking your calls at 888-914-9149. Joining me right now is Dr. Zudi Jasser, cardiologist in Arizona, president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, which you can find at AIFDemocracy.org. He's a former U.S. Navy Lieutenant Commander and the host of the Blaze Radio podcast, Reform This. And also, he is the author of A Battle for the Soul of Islam. You can follow him on Twitter, at Dr. Zudi Jasser. And Dr. Jasser, um, you know, just looking at the survey, you know, I, I, I see, I think it's authentic where you have a decline among Western populations or Westernized populations, because I wouldn't necessarily describe South Korea as Western, but certainly Westernized, Western-oriented uh, at any rate, uh, in the institutions, uh, in public institutions. I, I, I'm not sure that you can look at the same data that is coming from China, UAE, and Thailand, and, and with as much credibility. I mean, I... I not that I'm not that I'm trying to be not that I'm trying to be too skeptical here, but I don't think that surveying uh, people in China on how they feel about Big Brother is going to get you it's going to get you some reliable results. I mean, I, I as you have uh, you know Xi Jinping cracking down on any sort of uh, democracy there, it doesn't surprise me that uh, trust in the regime is up 11 points uh, in public surveys. I think that you're dealing with, with um, two different kinds of things here. You're dealing with, even in Thailand and UAE to a certain extent, you're dealing with uh, societies where there isn't really a lot of open political debate about the nature of, of governance. Absolutely. It is, uh, I mean, and there's two different lenses in which I would look at it from, uh, and I'll get to the West in a second, I think, even though it's interesting, the data in America seem to be worse than China, which is not surprising on some things because of the, because of the reason you said, which is, and let me give you the best answer, the best example that uh, is, is the greatest metaphor to answer what you're saying. The Arab awakening in which you had almost every government on its heels in the Middle East in 2011 in yeah. December 2010, polls, none of it was being predicted. All of the polls said they were, there was peace, there was a, a little conflict, etc. And three weeks later, a guy sets himself on fire in Tunisia, 
and uh, all of a sudden you had Twitter acting up, you had the Facebook acting up in Egypt, and then you had YouTube uh, revolution in Syria by March 2011, and you had massive revolutions with 10 to 20 million people in the streets in Egypt within three to four months. So the difference is in those government, in those regimes, they measure advancement based on whether the you know the hospitals are are working and the roads are open and just based on infrastructure type things, which is what I see with folks from Syria. They come back and they say, oh, the country's looking great, and they're using materialistic means and and measures and lenses to look at it rather than anything regarding human rights. And yet, in the West, I would tell you that the lack of faith in government now. But is not a sign of a lack of faith in democracy. If anything, I think it means we're headed towards a. It, it might have. It might be messy, but I do think that it means we're headed more towards getting to our roots, which is all about rejecting authoritarian uh, tendencies in government, et cetera. And I think that that's actually going to be a course correction in our culture dealing with social media's impact and other thing here in the West. So actually the lack of faith in the Western system based in democracy, which is what we breathe through every pore versus in the Middle East and in China where they haven't ever had generations that can explain to them what democracy is. They're going to have to go through massive bloody revolutions in order to actually get to that point. Syria didn't succeed. Saudi Arabia snuffed theirs out by paying every citizen $40,000 a year extra by cash payments. And uh, so there's there's things that will dry up eventually, and they're going to be headed towards bloody revolutions. But in the West, it's a completely different measure, and I think actually a little – messiness here is going to deal get us back to some of our roots of democracy right and i think the messiness here is is a completely different context we're talking about political messiness we're talking about you know messiness of manners that sort of thing as we're sorting this out um uh, it's it's a little different it's it's a little different um it's going to yep. be a, a much different sort of experience here and again we're speaking with dr zudi zudi jasser and talking about this um this uh, edelman survey here on uh, a supposed decline in trust in democracy. And I, I think I completely agree with you here on this. I don't think the issue is a decline in democracy. I think it's a decline in trust of the people that we put in charge of democracies. And, and I mean, I think that in part that's because they have leaned towards authoritarianism. And so I actually think you're right. And this is a much more um, optimistic way of looking at this, um, which is we've had sort of this, Post-World War II um, intellectual political establishment, sort of elite, uh, based in sort of the academia area of, of the country that has really overlooked the vast majority of, of you know, rank and file working class uh, people and their, and their views. And these are, these are the folks who have leaned into this idea that, well, we should be more like China. And I, again, I'm not going to pick, a, I don't mean to pick on any one person, but Thomas Friedman's column, I think was it a dozen years ago about how we really need to be more like China and wouldn't it be nice if we, you know, we, we were more like China and Barack Obama simply could order these things to be done and they'd be done. I mean, there's really been that sort of drift. And I think what you're seeing here is, uh, and especially over the last couple of, the last few years, um, is a rejection of that idea and a demand that uh, that government be more responsive to voters. In other words, a a republic of democratic institutions. And that's the reason why we have um, uh, that sort of decline. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I think that, you know, 
a couple things I, I would I would highlight. One is, you know, I became very active in politics when I was a teenager in high school, growing up in Wisconsin, in Nina, Wisconsin, up uh, in Appleton area. And oh, yeah. Reagan was the Reagan was the first president that I basically, uh, uh, you know, fell in love with in his politics. And uh, you know, the, and that was at a time when which. People talk about the 80s as if everybody got along, and yet his mantra was that government is the problem; it's not the solution. That was his. That was his mantra was that it was the pro- it was the problem, and that's the that's the my family's roots in the Middle East was. You know, it wasn't. Uh, we see that the massive difference between the American government uh, that is a uh, a, a civil uh, government that resolves its issues based on a separation of powers that ends in a Supreme Court. You know, we saw what happened in 2000 with Gore v. Bush, uh, that uh, ultimately uh, it was a peaceful resolution to what could have been revolutions in other countries. But at the end of the day, uh, the the concept that government is the problem, that there's an intellectual class that will always, if you know, power corrupts absolutely, as the old philosopher said. And I think that's part of what we have to reset nowadays is the fact that uh, there is this elitist class, the, the establishment, if you will, and that's what I'm fighting in my faith for reform, which is the Islamists that are running most of the mosques, that are the clerics that say they know what Islam is and the rest of us don't. It's the exact same battle. They've ruined our faith. They've destroyed what it means to be Muslim. They've turned it into a cult where if you leave, you get killed or you get put in prison or tortured if you're in Iran or elsewhere. So they basically destroyed what it means to me personally to be a Muslim. And yet in my book, I talk about the fact that I felt more Muslim growing up in Nina, Wisconsin, than I could in any in any so-called Muslim-majority country. Is that right. because the Islam I practice is some fiction? No, it's because it's a personal faith in which government stays out of my business. And it's very libertarian, if you will. And I think that's that's the issue that we've forgotten, that, that you know, universal human rights is about protecting the individual, and that the more you protect individuals, the more the tribe, the community will benefit. But if you protect the tribe at the expense of the individual, you've lost all moorings with with uh, uh, democracy and you've become an authoritarian system. Well, and, and also, uh, Dr. Jasser, I think what happens is you lose the ability to have that sort of comity between, you know, tribes or communities or, or various affiliations and everything becomes uh, about boundaries and enforcing those boundaries. And I think that that's really the corrosive aspect of that. Dr. Zudi Jasser, thank you so much for being with us. What a pleasure it's been talking with you and, and going over this with you. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Appreciated it. Thank you. Dr. Zudi Jasser. And again, you can find him on Twitter, Dr. Zudi, at Dr. Zudi Jasser. You can find him at the uh, AIFdemocracy.org website and also you can read his book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam. And uh also want to highlight that Kale Clark is coming up next, so be sure to stay tuned for that. I'm Ed Morrissey, filling in for Drew Mariani. Have a great evening, folks.